Well, good morning, Encounter Church. So great to be with y'all this morning. It's a good day? Yeah, it's a good day. All right. It's a good day to worship the Lord. My name is Dylan. If y'all don't recognize me, I'm an intern here at the church, and I get this opportunity to preach every once in a while, and you'll see me pop up in different places as well. Many of you know me as uh, Encounter's favorite Canadian intern, which is a hat I wear quite proudly, so now you know. Um, I'm excited this morning because I have the opportunity of wrapping up our third and final part of our series, God on Mutes. And I don't know about you, but that, that bumper video, it gets me every time I go, oh, what, what happened? As it goes silent. But sometimes that's what happens in our life with God. And hey, if you're joining us online, I just want to give you a special shout out. Uh, if you're in the West Michigan area, we'd love for you to come join us uh, in person one of these days too, so we can worship together. So this morning... I have a fair bit of content that I want to share, so we're going to dive right in. And I want to begin by sharing a a little bit of an experience that I had uh, just recently where I was asked to preach. You see, I'm a seminarian, hence being an intern here at the church. Uh, So I'm I'm being trained on how to be, you know, a professional pastor, you know, a preacher. Many people think that pastors just preach, but I'll tell you there's a lot more to being a pastor than just preaching. Uh, But some people are just gifted with preaching. They can just look at a text and boom, they've got like a three-point message and it just comes together, just kind of like falls into their lap. For others, it's not really that easy. Uh, for myself, sometimes I have, to, I have to fight for almost every line that I come up with. And typically, I like to spend a fair bit of time, you know, writing out my message, you know, listening to God and kind of meditating on the text and figuring out what I want to share. And recently, I was asked to preach somewhere and it was part of a, a preaching team. And so I sat down with these people and we made kind of a bit of an outline for the message, then I began to work on it. For a couple weeks, I had an opportunity to work on it, and every time I went to work on it, it just seemed like I had this, like, writer's block. If you, like, do writing, if you're poetry or write books or stories, or or even if you're a preacher, you you know that pain of writer's block, when it just doesn't seem like the words are coming to you, and as the time approached, I mean, I'm, like, a day or two away, and I I didn't quite have a message yet, then it's, like, 12 hours. It's, like, boy, do I just stay up all night and and work on this sucker? I mean, what do I do? And it became this really frustrating, painful situation where I began to go, like, like, God, like, what do I do now? I have to, I have to preach your word in the morning. What do I do now? And I know for some of us, we've asked that same question in our life. Perhaps you're, you're here this morning and you're a student. You spent four years getting your undergraduate degree and now you're, you're drowning in debt. You can't find a job, maybe. Or even worse, maybe you've, you've prayed about your career and you thought God was leading you down this path and after four years and now you have this degree, you don't even like what you're doing. And you're asking God, like, what, what do I do now? For others, maybe you're a parent. Maybe you've got some, some late-stage youth at home or some young adults, and since the day they were born, you've been, you've been praying for them. You've been praying with them, believing that God's going to help give you the wisdom to, to lead and guide them in the way in which they should go, and that is to serve the Lord and worship God. And now, well, now they're telling you they don't want to go to church. They're skipping out on youth. They're, they're starting to hang out with, with the wrong crowd, and you have to sit back and watch them make some, some terrible choices. And you think to yourself, what? what do I do now? For others, maybe Eve, it's a little more serious. Maybe maybe you married your high school sweetheart. God led you together with your spouse and you took those vows as God is your witness with God till death do us part. And you had a couple of kids and now you're, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 years into your marriage and things are going great. Or so you think. You wake up one morning and your spouse looks you in the eyes and says, I'm sorry, but... I don't, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. And you're left brokenhearted, 
wondering, what, what do I do now? I thought God was with us. I thought God was for us. What do I do now? And thanks be to God that sometimes, even though it doesn't seem like he's with us, it doesn't seem like he's speaking to us, we have God's word that we can turn to where God will always speak to us. And today we're turning to the book of Habakkuk to see what God has to say to us about this type of question where, what do we do now? And if you've been with us for the last two weeks, you know that uh, kind of the context of where we're headed, of what's going on. If you haven't been here, this is your first time, or maybe you've just missed a couple weeks, allow me to just take a quick moment to bring you up to speed. So the book of Habakkuk is pretty short. It's only three chapters, hence we're in the third chapter today. And the situation is, well, a prophet normally is God's spokesperson that speaks on behalf of God to God's people. Here the roles like reversed a little bit where Habakkuk kind of becomes like the spokesperson for God's people to God. Because God's people are doing what they often do best, and that is living lives of lack of obedience, rebellious lives, lives that aren't super pleasing to God. And sometimes, if you've ever read much of the Old Testament, you know that, that God tends to pour out his wrath and punish his people in ways that aren't super fun. And so this is a situation for the tribe of Judah here. And God's spokesperson, Habakkuk, is kind of like vouching for them, saying, you know, God, like, I know that you need to punish your people, but, you know, is there a different way than the way that you're planning? Because the way that he's planning is to use the enemy, to use the Babylonians to invade the tribe of Judah, to invade their land, to basically decimate everything. And then God, God basically goes quiet. He goes silent. And Habakkuk's left in this place going, well, well what do I do now? I know what's going to happen. What, what do I do now? And so two weeks ago, Dirk led us through chapter 1 where he talked about Habakkuk's ability to, to cling on, to, to hold on, to hang on to God. In fact, Habakkuk's name actually means to embrace. So there's this place of this idea of kind of holding on to God that when we don't know what's going on, when we have doubts about what's going on, we can wonder about it, but we should not wander. We need to continue in the direction of God and continue driving and drawing closer to God, not wandering away from him. And then just last week, he talked about this, this uncomfortable place. He took us to this place that a lot of us don't like to be in called uh, the waiting room. And while we're in the waiting room, wondering about what God is doing, we have to recognize that God's delays are not God's denials. God's delays are not God's denials. And when we're waiting on God, it's, waiting on God is not wasted time, but it's profitable time. It's actually a, a, a good, good time. Sometimes. It doesn't feel like it, but trust me, it is. And so today we're in this place where Habakkuk's now trying to hang on to God, trying to wait on what he's doing, and he's trying to find a way to answer this question, well, what do I do now? And so thousands of years ago, and God's all his wisdom, he decided that he was going to teach us through this prophet what we can do for such a time and a place as today when we're asking that same question, when we're in these painful situations going, what do I do now? So if you've got a Bible with you, we'd love for you to turn it out to Habakkuk 3. If you have a phone with you and that's the way that you, uh, you read the text, go on and pull that out. We are a phone-friendly church. The scripture will also be up on the screen here for us this morning. And we're going to be in chapter 3, verse 1 says a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on Shagoyanoth. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, on 
Shagoyanoth. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, come on, Dylan. We're not stupid. We see the answers right there. It's prayer, obviously. If the answer is not prayer, then it's got to be Jesus, because those are the, the two most generic answers that are almost always right, right? Well, you wouldn't be quite wrong, but you're also not quite right. Because, you see, this isn't, this isn't your normal prayer. As some might say, like, this ain't your mama's prayer. This is like a different kind of prayer. This is a prayer on Shagoyanoth, which... It's a word you've probably never, ever heard. A word that actually I hadn't really heard until we got into this text. And what this word is, it's actually a Hebrew word, which doesn't really have an English word. It's almost like a transliteration, because what they've done is, if you were to see the Hebrew word, the way that you would pronunciate it is Shagoyanoth. So they've done, they've done like a phonetic kind of translation. And so when you say Shagoyanoth, can you say that with me? Shagoyanoth? One more time. One more time. Nice and loud. All right, decent, decent. Boy, you learn a few more words and y'all are like halfway towards being Hebrew scholars. Amazing. But this word, it's important for us to understand here this morning what it means. This prayer on Shagoyanoth is described as a prayer full of feelings, a prayer set to free-flowing melody and rhythms. As one commentator wrote, it's a, a wildly compassionate song. Guys, this, this is it. This prayer on Shagoyanoth, it's a praise and worship song. It's what we just did for the last 15 minutes. A prayer on Shagoyanoth is a worship song. And this is, this is how Habakkuk responds. He responds to this question of, what do I do now? By praising through the pain. Praising through the, the discomfort. Praising through the circumstance where it doesn't feel like God is answering. It doesn't feel like God is moving. He praises through the pain. So we have verse 1. A, praise, uh, a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shagoinoth. And then we, we turn to verse 2, which says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. See, what Habakkuk's doing here is he's reminiscing about God's past faithfulness. He's reminiscing about the things he's seen, about the, the things he's heard God do, these, these great deeds that he now stands in great awe of, and this, this builds his faith. And what this is, is this is our, our first point. You see, Habakkuk knows not just one, not just two, but three ways he teaches us how to praise through the pain. And this is number one. We praise through the pain by remembering God's faithfulness. We praise through the pain by remembering God's past faithfulness. And if you've ever gone to some other churches, sometimes you'll know what is set up on the stage. They often have like a baptism tank on one side and over on the other side. They'll have like this, this lawn table. It's like the Lord's communion table, the Lord's supper table. And you probably wonder like, why is that stuff up there? I mean, they don't use it every week. It's kind of like it's in the way. Well, part of that is so that when people come in together, when God's people come to worship, they, they see these things and they're reminders of God's faithfulness. It's a reminder of the commitment they made to trust God, to believe in God. And, and through that baptism, they are publicly displaying their faith, their trust, their decision to follow Christ. And through the table, you're reminded of the times that we, we break bread together through the, you know, drinking the juice and eating the cracker. We're reminded of what Christ has done for us. And here at Encounter Church, you, know, we, you see, we don't have a baptism tank. We don't have a communion table up here. But what we do do is this. As a staff, on Monday mornings, the first thing that we do is we gather together for a devotion time. 
And now as being the, uh, the intern, I'm not always there, but fortunately my wife's on staff, so I get to hear the reports back from her, which is really good because it's really encouraging. But part of that devotion time is spent sharing God sightings and God stories, things that happened in the last week, particularly things that happened on our Sunday morning worship experience. And I tell you, it helps build our faith when sometimes we feel like God's not moving, God's not doing things. Other people have seen what we haven't seen. And I mean, there's some mornings where, you know, Pastor Dirk kicks his boots into the office and he feels like he just bombed his message on Sunday morning, which I'll just pause and say that never, ever happens because Dirk is just a, a gifted preaching machine. It's really me that needs to kick my boots in and go, okay, guys, come on. I'm sure God, God used these words somehow, right? But what happens when we share these God sightings and stories and we look back at God's faithfulness? It builds our faith. It reminds us of the work that he's still doing. Even when it doesn't feel like maybe he's active right now, we have to trust that he is. Because Habakkuk, he does this, and he has a lot to remember. He looks back at, a, at times throughout the narrative of the Bible, and he shares some pretty significant things. If we jump back in the text from verse 3 all the way to almost the end of the chapter, this is what he does. He basically shares this sort of this imagery and this, uses a celebratory language of things that God has done in the past, remembering God's faithfulness. And, you know, we don't have time to, to go through all those verses this morning, but I do just want to give you a, a little flavor, a little taste of what that looks like and what that sounds like, because it is so so powerful. So check this out. We're going to do verse 3 and a couple other kind of random verses throughout it. It says, God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, raised flash from his hand where his power was hidden. You uncovered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and trembled. Torrents of water swept by. The, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows. At the lightning of your flashing spear, you came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from foot to head. I mean, these are some pretty heavy-handed, powerful descriptions of God's past faithfulness. And although we might not pick up on what he's talking about, he's making references to these powerful events where God moved, where God acted, and God saved, God delivered. Some of them are like the Exodus. You know, remember when, when God used Moses to deliver his people out of slavery in Egypt? He talks about Mount Sinai, the place where Moses went up the mountain and received the, the law, the Ten Commandments written on the stone tablets and brought them down to give to God's people so they would know how to be obedient and how to worship and serve God. And, and even the conquest is referenced in here, which is just like a really cool, cool descriptive word that describes how Moses kind of passed on the reins to Joshua and, and Joshua led God's people to victory in battle after battle after battle after battle towards the promised land. I mean, these are these big moments that God's people can look back on and go, oh yeah, I remember. God was so faithful then. And it builds our faith to remember that God is still going to be faithful today and tomorrow because his faithfulness never, never ends. And if we think about this in the context of a praise and worship song, remember, this is a prayer on Shagoyanoth. This is kind of like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, you know, we're going along. And all of a sudden, you kind of, you start building that chorus, going up high. It's like the crescendo in the song. And then suddenly, it seems like there's a, a key change, and the song drops. You know that moment in that song. It kind of gets dark. The song drops. It gets quiet. It allows you a, a moment to breathe. And, and for Habakkuk, it kind of, it almost gets a little bit dark. 
And this leads us into the second way that Habakkuk teaches us how to praise through the pain. And that is by getting real with God. We can praise through the pain by getting real with God. And I'll just say this is not easy. This is not a popular choice, but it is a powerful choice. And it's not popular because it's, it adds to the pain for a moment. We have to acknowledge the situations we're in. We have to acknowledge how we actually feel in our, and, and the, the graveness of our circumstances. And sometimes that even looks like pointing our finger at God in anger because we feel like he's not speaking. We feel like he's not moving and holding his end of his promises. So we're going to jump back into the text in verse 17 and, and hear this. It says, though the fig trees, the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. Let's just pause there for a second and recognize that this is maybe not a, a common, common picture for us here in West Michigan. I mean, if you're picking up what he's putting down, he's, remember, he's anticipating this invasion that the Babylonians are going to come in and they're basically going to take everything that God has provided for his people in this place. They're going to decimate the land. And it's, the, the provisions are going to dry up and it's going to be basically become a, a barren wasteland. Okay? And so these circumstances, for us, they represent painful situations that we find ourselves in. And again, kind of an odd picture in West Michigan, but you know what? This, this is not an odd picture for this tribe of Judah because their economy was what they called an agrarian economy. Meaning that their livelihood, their survival, the way that they thrived and lived was based on the, the promises of the land, the provisions of the land to provide the, the figs and the grapes and the olives, the produce of the land, and then even the livestock, the, the cattle, the, the herds of, of cattle, the flocks of sheep, the, the goats. I mean, this was part of who they were, and this was God's provision for them, and that was all just going to be taken away as a way that God was going to lay down his righteous right hand. And for us, you may wonder, I mean, what, what does that look like for us when God's provisions begin to dry up? Yeah, absolutely. It's that, that struggle to pay off the student debt when you can't find a job. It's the struggles, the pain of, of going through a divorce when you thought that you were going to be with that person for the rest of your life. It's those moments where, where maybe you're in sales and you haven't made a sale in six months and you're struggling to put rent on or pay your rent and put food on your table or Maybe you're, you've been married for many years and you've been trying to conceive with your spouse and it's been like weeks, months, going into years now and it's just not happening and you're wondering, why God? Why are you not providing? What, what do we do now? And for us, I think it's safe to say that it's very unlikely our reaction is going to be to just simply praise God through the pain. Sometimes we need some very proactive tools in our tool belt in order to do that. And one of the ways that we can do that is, well, living into building a, a deeper connection with God by getting real with God. I mean, we're all relational people, and you'll, you'll agree with me that one of the only ways that we can build deeper relationships with people is by getting intimate with them. And so when we get real with God, when we begin to really truly fell, feel, tell God how we feel, which again is painful because we have to acknowledge our situation. We have to truly tell him how we feel. I mean, it's easy to come to church and to praise God when things are good, but when things aren't so good and you're in these painful situations, it's not so easy. You might still come, but you know, your hands are left in your pockets and you're just, you're just kind of here, but you're not really praising God. But when we get real with God, 
Something happens, something that you've probably heard before. It, it allows us to, to cast off our burdens onto him. When you truly share with God how you feel, the weight of those emotions begin to fall off your shoulder and it kind of gives you a little bit of fresh, fresh hop to your step. And you can almost think of it like if you're a, if you're a parent here and you have a child, um, for me, I mean, I, I'm a father. I've got a 12-year-old daughter. She's sitting right here. Cute little thing. Always going to be my little girl. Sometimes she gets mad at me. Believe it or not I'm, not, I'm not a perfect dad. I know some of you out there maybe are, but I'm not. And sometimes she gets mad at me. And it pains me when she's not willing to share with me why or share with me how she feels. But then eventually she comes around and, and she will. I'll have to sometimes pry a little bit, you know. But I tell you, it gives me great joy when she's able to tell me how she feels, that she's mad at me and I've maybe hurt her feelings or done something that, you know, she didn't appreciate. And it allows me the opportunity to then love on her, to embrace her, and to remind her how valuable she is and, and who she is. And it's just this, brings me great joy. And I can't, I can't imagine our Father in Heaven doing nothing less but the, you know, embracing us and loving on us and reminding us of who we are in His eyes when we are willing to get honest and real with Him. God calls us to share our, our full range of emotions with him. And just so you know, he's not going to get hurt. He's not going to be offended. He's a, he's a pretty big God. He can take it. And he already knows how you feel. So really, I mean, what do you got left to, to lose? Just, just be honest with him and, and relieve yourself of those burdens that you're carrying around. And so we see this. Our second point is that we're able to praise God through our pain by getting real with God. And as we hit that crescendo, then we hit the bridge and, you know, you kind of go through that. Sometimes these moments are kind of like that valley of the shadow of death. You know that, that place, that really uncomfortable place? Some of the best advice I've ever been given is when you're in that place, just keep walking because that's the only way out. And just keep on walking for us and for Habakkuk looks like praising God through the pain. And then as, the, as we get to that place, it's like the bridge begins to build back up as we head towards that like, climactic moment. You know that moment where we sing the same, the same three lines for like 15 minutes and it's just this, this momentous moment? That's, that's where we're heading and that's where Habakkuk heads to. And we pick this up in, already in verse 17. I mean, you may have already seen it. So check this out again. Let me, let me read it a little bit differently for you to hear it. Verse 17 says, Though... The fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. Though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. See, Habakkuk's praises aren't tied. They're not dependent upon his circumstances. They're dependent on who God is on his promises. And this is what our third point is here this morning, that we're able to praise through the pain by trusting who God says he is. We're able to praise through the pain by trusting who God says he is. And in the character of God is quite wide, quite deep. And I've got to ask you, who do you say God is? In your life right now, who, who is God to you? Because if we read his word, he has a, a lot of different character traits. I mean, he basically embodies them all. Is he just the, you know, the everlasting, almighty creator of all things? Yeah, he's that. But he's also our healer. 
He's also our righteousness. He's our strength. He's our provider. He's our shepherd. He is just everything to us. And when we recognize that and we acknowledge that and we know confidently who God is, it it enables us to praise through the pain, trusting that he has our lives in his best interest. And as we are God's people today, we, we live a little bit differently than God's people did back in the days of Habakkuk because we live on the other side of the cross of Christ crucified. So what separates us is that we've already received the greatest promise that God offered. That moment when you acknowledged Jesus in your life, that you believed in your heart, that God raised him from the dead, and you confessed it with your mouth, that Jesus is your Lord, he not only becomes your personal Lord and Savior, but he then reorients your life and sets you on a destination of eternal life in heaven with him. And you know, sometimes when we're in these painful situations, we get so obsessed on the, the here and now that we can't, we forget about looking over the horizon and seeing that destination, that there will come a day when, when none of this stuff will even matter, but what matters is where we're headed. And that is God's faithful promise to each and every one of you, that God saves And so like the people of Israel, God's people and Habakkuk, we too can lean in despite what things look like, despite how we feel. We can trust that God is still on his throne and he will forever be our Lord and Savior. And when I shared earlier about struggling with coming up with this message, turns out God had a plan. A plan that I wasn't really able to see in that moment. And it just so happens that that weekend, my wife and my daughter ended up going uh, back to Ontario for a couple days and, and freed up an amount of time that I needed to lean in. And to be honest with you, that was actually this weekend. And through these points that I've shared with you, these three ways that Habakkuk teaches us, God began to teach me how to praise through the pain of this awkward situation where the time was coming and I was going to have to get up here and share with y'all. And through that, I, I learned how to praise God through the pain by remembering his faithfulness of all the other times that he, he helped me prepare for a message. There was a moment where I, I began to praise through the pain when I, when I acknowledged my situation and I actually got a little bit upset with God because I'm like, God, why aren't you helping me with this? Why does it feel like you've gone silence? But I chose to continue praising through the pain of that situation. And I also learned how to praise through the pain of trusting who God says he is as, as my provider, as my personal savior, the God who saves. And maybe this message is completely falling flat for you. I hope it's not. I hope God has been faithful, that his word has come clear so that you all know that God will save you as well despite what situation you're in, despite how you might feel that God may not be with you. He is. He is with you. He is for you. And he has a plan through the pain of your situation. But he calls us to praise him through the pain. So what does that look like for us today? Well, it looks like this. Though, though you might be swimming and drowning in a mountain full of debts, you can't find a job to pay off that debt. Yet, you can still rejoice in the Lord. You can still be joyful in God as your Savior. 
Though maybe your, your teenager or young adult is no longer wanting to come to church and you're concerned about their future, about choices they're making, you can still rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God, your Savior. Though maybe you thought you were going to spend the rest of your life with your spouse, but now, now you're going through this painful divorce and it's just the worst thing you've ever gone through, still you can rejoice in the Lord. Still you can be joyful in God your Savior because he is the God who saves. And through Habakkuk, God teaches us how to praise through the pain by remembering God's faithfulness. Be, be reminded of things that he's done for you in your life before, knowing that he will do it again. And he teaches us how to praise through the pain by getting real. Don't be afraid to point your finger at God. He's a big God. He can take it. Cast those burdens unto him. And he teaches us how to praise God through the pain by trusting who he is as our Lord and as our Savior. There was once a guy who got this. He got this like nobody else, I think, ever has. You probably don't know him. I don't even know him. He was a, a gentleman who lived in the mid-1800s, a missionary named Alan Gardiner. He was heading to South America one time with a, ship, a crew full of people, and they got shipwrecked and landed on this deserted island, this remote island where there was no civilization anywhere to be found. And they did their best to survive as long as they could until hopefully somebody would find them. But unfortunately, no one did. One by one, they passed away. Alan was the, the last one to pass away, and when people eventually discovered the bodies, they found next to Alan his journal, still intact, and they turned to the last page, and in the last page, he, he wrote down Psalm 3410, which says, The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. And right under that, he penned his very last thought that he thought worthy to share. He said, I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Despite the situation that he was in, he got it. He put his focus on God. He fixed his praise, not on his circumstances, but on who God is. And he, he praised through the pain until his very last breath, knowing God's promise on the other side of this life. And that's what God calls us to do today too. Despite the circumstance you might find yourself in, there is a way to praise him through the pain. And I promise you will come out the other side and you will be reminded of God's faithfulness to you. It's the God who saves. And this morning we're, we're going to take an opportunity to continue praising God just like this chapter is. A praise and worship song, a prayer on Shagoyanoth. And we're going to do that with a a bit of a throwback song this morning. Some of you may, may know this song, and I hope that you're reminded of a time when God was faithful to you, that it that triggers some memories, and you go, oh yeah, I, re I remember that time that God was just so faithful. Isn't he good? And you will be reminded of the goodness of God. For others, it may be a very, a brand new song. It might be the very first time you've ever heard it. And then we also are going to invite you, as we've done in the last two weeks, to take that piece of paper that you got when you came in. There's pens in the backs of the seats and, and write down a prayer request. We're praying over this prayer wall here, but
but we're not going to open them up so you can be as honest and raw and real as you want. And that's, that's my challenge to you this morning. Share with God how you truly feel. Write it down and acknowledge your situation and be honest with him. Cast those burdens upon him and leave here knowing who God is as your Savior. So stand to your feet with me, please, and join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are today. We thank you that you are the God who saves. We thank you that thousands of years ago, you knew that this was a word that we were going to need to hear for such a time and a place as this, when we find ourselves in painful situations where it feels like you're not there. It feels like you're not living up to the promises, to our expectations. You're not delivering the way that we hoped you would. But God, through Habakkuk, we recognize that there's ways that we can praise through the pain, trusting who you say you truly are. And through your son, Jesus, knowing that we've been accepted, that we've been redeemed, and that we are now headed towards an eternal destination with you forever and ever. And Lord, we thank you for the the comfort that that brings here this morning. We thank you for, for who you are and what you've done. And we declare this morning that you are the God who will continue doing what you've done. And we thank you for that. And it's in your son's mighty, authoritative name that we pray here today. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.